Hey, this is Mark A. Altman of Inglorious Trexperts in the 430 movie. And if you're a fan of our podcast, you don't want to miss Deck 78, available now by subscribing at trexpertsplus.com. This is a bonus podcast full of great discussions about popular culture, film, and television. And on this episode, don't miss our in-depth discussion with showrunner director Kenneth Johnson about the 40th anniversary of V, The Incredible Hulk, Six Million Dollar Man, The Bionic Woman, and of course, Bigfoot. Here's a sneak peek. But it was, Brennan was in a hurry. And um, normally to do a four hour miniseries with a cast of almost 70 people, um, you'd have what, four or five months just to prep right. you know, the whole thing, just to build the stuff you needed and all of that. And, um, uh, and four or five months. And from the weekend when Brandon read my full first draft script and said, go, until the day I said action was two and a half weeks. Oh, my God. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, they, wow. People, well, yeah, most people like you, most people in the industry go, no, you didn't. That's bullshit. I know. Casting, prep, location scout. I mean, it's, and, and it, it, it just people is one thing, but that's crazy. That's extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was insane. And, uh, and how did it, how did it happen? Well, it happened because Brandon really needed it for February or thought he did. And um, uh, and he knew that I could deliver and deliver fast as I had in the past. But I said, geez, guys, you know, uh, so I said, OK, look, I'll do the best. We, we'll do the best we can. And uh, and we started shooting literally two and a half weeks after he said go. Um, and I know I obviously we had stuff that we were beginning to line up. I had always already corralled almost all of my uh, crew from the Incredible Hulk at Universal to bring them over to be with me at uh, uh, at Warner's. I brought along Chuck Davis, who had been my production designer on Prometheus and on, on the whole Incredible Hulk series and Bionic Woman uh, before that. Uh, Chuck, who always would tell me, is this the best we can do? You know, and... Uh, um, a brilliant guy, and uh, I, I, that's a whole other story. But um, so I had I had a team that had been working together for you know for over five years uh, that really spoke the same language, and a brilliant cinematographer in John McPherson, uh, and my composer Joe Harnell, who uh, and I knew exactly where I wanted to go with the music and all. Um, so I was had begun to line things up, but it wasn't until Brandon said go that I could say, okay, move everybody in here. Let's start the casting. Let's start the location scouting and. Uh, and uh, and this was in a day where there were no cell phones. To, they could show you pictures. The you know they'd have to go take the pictures and bring them back, or they'd have to drag you out to the location. So we're doing all of that and, and casting in the afternoons. Uh, and, and in many cases, I, I hired the first actor that they brought me because they happened to hit the ball exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> anymore, they tell everybody else they can go home. So subscribe today at trexpressplus.com and don't miss a single episode of Deck Seventy Eight. Fire the rockets. Mark A. Altman, Darren Docterman, Ashley Edward Miller. Three fans who became professionals and then became... Trexperts. Inglorious Trexperts. Listen wherever you find podcasts or go to trexpertsplus.com. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, one of the co-hosts of Inglorious Trexperts. And if you're a Trek fan, you owe it to yourself to pick up the 50-year mission, the complete uncensored oral history of Star Trek. It's available wherever you buy books, digital or audio. 
And speaking of books, check out my new book about the making of John Wick. They shouldn't have killed his dog. Also available wherever you buy your books. You see a pattern happening here? Well, what are you waiting for? Get on it. They're here. Yes, indeed. Your favorite 430 movie hosts are all back with an all new season of curating fantasy theme weeks on the 430 movie podcast. Join Darren Docterman, Ashley Edward Miller, Stephen Melching, and myself, Mark A. Altman, as we bring you the latest and sometimes not so greatest in movie curation. It's the 430 movie. It's fun. It's informative. It's awesome. And until then, Eyewitness News starts now. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman. And this is Ashley Edward Miller. And we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And today, the con is on. (laughs) Not K-H-A-N-C-O-N. We're talking about conventions. Talking about conventions and and, uh, not only Star Trek conventions, but the origins of conventions. And this whole episode has an interesting genesis. Um, Back when we were in Columbus, Ohio, we had the opportunity to... um, sit down with Mike Broder, who brought us out to um, uh, the GalaxyCon, and he was uh, telling us all about the fascinating history of conventions and how they date back to the 1800s. And, we, you know, it was really interesting. And so we thought it would be fun to have, thought it would be fun to run a magazine. We thought it would be fun to, uh, a newspaper, sorry. We thought it would be fun to have Mike on the show to talk about not only how uh, conventions got started, but how they've evolved over the last um, few decades. Because uh, science fiction, and particularly Star Trek conventions, have changed a lot, haven't they, Darren? Uh, entirely. I mean, you know, they started out very uh, grassroots, you know, from uh, being run by fans. And uh, then, you know, the, over the years, they evolved as uh, more of a corporate kind of thing. But, uh, you know, the great thing about uh, Mike and his uh, GalaxyCon, and it, it is, uh, it has the aspects of those uh, fan-run conventions, even though they're run very professionally. Ashley, what was the first convention you ever went to? I went to a uh, creation con uh, back in the very early 80s. I want to say it was 81, 82, if that makes sense. Um, And uh, it was just a it was one of those things where you've got like one ballroom in a hotel that is the dealer's room. And that's it. I spent most of my time there looking for comic books. Um, I can't even remember who the guest was. It. It um it might have been, uh good lord it it might have been Jimmy Doohan because <clears throat> that guy does a lot but uh, but yeah I, what I remember most was the dealers room and just feeling like wow like look at all these people who love all this stuff that I love right. and now here's all this stuff that like that I can touch it's real that like I stop I touching back. things I know <laughs> watch where you put those hands <laughs> Darren what about you what was your what was your first convention? It's interesting. My first actual convention was at around the same time, I think, 81. Uh, and in Chicago, another creation show. And uh, Walter was there, Walter Koenig, who played Chekhov on the original show. And uh, uh, Sarek himself, uh, Mark Leonard. And uh, it was uh, it was great. And of course, you know, as Ashley mentioned, the uh, the dealer's room was amazing. 
of course, you know, this is uh, coming from me who had actually been to the original uh, intergalactic uh, trading post, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the Federation trading post in New York. And, um, you know, it was it was kind of like that. It was kind of seeing all these things in one place that uh, uh, you could only imagine. And it was fascinating. And I, I, I loved that experience. And, you know, as uh, as we know, this was one of those things where your parents would drop you off and uh, pick you up uh, later that evening. Um, and it was, uh, you know, I think you mentioned it before. It was a, a nice uh, uh, feeling of uh, being an adult for the first time. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because I remember I used to go to my cousin's house for like Passover or for uh, Thanksgiving or, you know, all these holidays. And he was a huge Star Trek fan. So he would give me these program books from like Star Trek lives at the Statler Hilton and the Commodore hotel. And I was so jealous. I'm like, Oh my God. It's like, you met the Star Trek actors and you're going to these Star Trek conventions. And you know, this is so cool. And I, one day I hope I can do that. And I, you know, I remember I would go to the creation baseball card shows in Brooklyn, believe it or not. And, uh, and then eventually, you know, made my way where I finally would get to go, I think the first big Star Trek convention I went to was in New Jersey at Hasbrook Heights, mm-hmm. um, right after Star Trek the Motion Picture opened. My grandfather took pity on me. We were we were out there, and I don't know what we were doing in New Jersey. We were going to like uh, Charlie Brown's restaurant, or like we used to go, or maybe we were going to mini, mini golfing. And I thought it was this convention at this hotel. And he said, "Well, I'll take you," which was so nice of him. And we went, and I don't think he knew what to make of it, but he was being very—he's a great grandfather—and he took me in. So you know, I saw George Decay speak and went to the dealer's room and I'm like, this is really cool. And then subsequently went to a bunch of creation shows, um, in the, uh, in the mid mid eighties and stuff. But, you know, that's why it was, um, when Mike came to us at, uh, we were in, uh, at, in Vegas, um, and said, Oh, I'm doing, you know, I do these shows and I'd love to have the Trexperts there. Um, you know, we didn't know what to think. And, and, you know, we were a little, um, standoffish, I think at first it was like, well, you, you don't, don't know. Do you don't know who's who and who's uh, who do you trust? And uh, you know, it sounds good, but as as stranger danger, exactly. I mean, you know, we do Comic Con. That's our thing. We do Comic Con, and you know, we in the recent years we've been going to Vegas, but for the Vegas Con and Star Trek Con, but we don't really do a lot of convention. We're really that interested. But he said, "Look, come see if you like it. If you like it, you know, we want to do more with you." So we went to Columbus in December. We had a great time. We thought it was terrific. And then we said, "Yeah, you know, we're definitely willing to do more, but we we'd love to have." The, the 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 triptych we'd love to have the the troika the, you know you gotta have Kirk, Kirk Scott and McCoy so um, <laughs> you know, we we need we need Ashley we're stronger with him than without him I said of course there's no <laughs> experts without Ashley and he said well we'll start including Ashley you know uh, as well so it all worked out had a great time we're looking forward to being in Richmond March 24th to 26th we've already had a lot of Trexperts fans reach out to us and uh, tell us that they're going to be there with their family so we're excited about meeting you. Um, I'm going to wear knee pads to avoid... There's going to be families there, Riker. (laughs) (laughs) And I expect that you will... uh... (laughs) See, that's what I project. (laughs) I project congeniality. Congeniality. (laughs) Um, But uh, So so we're looking forward to that, but um, it was really interesting, and I think we learned a lot when we sat down with Mike for this discussion about uh, not only his own conventions, but the history of conventions. So join us now as we talk about the origin of Star Trek conventions, and uh, what it was like to party back in 1899 at the original science fiction conventions. Well, there he is, the convention empresario himself, Mike Broder, the CEO and founder of GalaxyCon. But he's here today to talk about um, the history of conventions, 
which is far more fascinating than you may already know. I, I mean, Mike, tell us a little bit about why you have this fascination with conventions and sort of you, you started an exhibition and features and then, you know, uh, pursued uh, this career where you built GalaxyCon into this huge thing. What was the attraction of, of, of conventions for you? Hey, hey, guys, it's it's great to meet you guys and go up and be here and do this whole thing. And um, I, I so I do these shows and I do them because when I was a kid, when I was, you know, nine years old, my mother took me to I my mother took me to a creation show in New York and I met DeForest Kelly. And it was uh, back then creation did these hybrid comic comic book, you know, sci-fi shows, and they would have comic guys, you'd have, you know, your Jack Kirby's on one end, and then you'd have, you know, your D. Kelly on another, and you have your Billy Mummy over in the in the corner. And, and baseball cards. <laughs> and baseball cards, that's right. And you and I, you're, you know, well, we're a couple years apart, but you and I grew up in the same neighborhood. And so we schlepped from Brooklyn, you know, we schlepped from, you know, you know, Avenue U to, to New York, and she took me to this, uh, to this show, and I sat in and I listened to D. Kelly, you know, read a poem about birds, and I was hooked. <laughs> and, uh, and it was, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm a little kid from Brooklyn who loved Star Trek, and and my God, I got to meet, you know, the actors who did it, and and I had a phenomenal time. Um, and that was it. I I then I you know, and I, and I also read comics. I was a big comic book guy, so I loved going to conventions for you know, for comic books and to meet the guys who wrote and drew the comics. And then also I could meet, you know, Star Trek actors. And we moved to Florida in uh, 80, 87. And then I started going to shows down in Florida. They were the Vulcan shows run by Joe Motes. Mm. And he would be originally, it was, uh, you know, uh, and then there were like the Trekcon shows. That was his ex-partner, Vince. But mainly, you know, Joe shows. And then I, you know, remember meeting Walter, for, you know, Koenig for the first time in 87. And uh, and that was it. And so I, I kind of grew up in this thing. And so everything I've ever done in life, it's I still you know have those memories of you know my you know formative and, and teenage years going to these conventions. And it was great because it it was a place where you know back then in the eighties it wasn't uh, you, know, you didn't have a lot of you didn't have the internet. You didn't have a lot of people that knew. You know that were into fandom, and, and it kind of wasn't the cool thing to talk about in school. Maybe you'd have one or two other friends that you could share this stuff with, but then you could go to these places where everybody was into the thing you were into, and it wasn't weird that you yeah. know you had a crush on Kirstie Alley as Sabin. Um Yes, we did. Uh, <laughs> I gotta ask you. I, you know, I, the first Star Trek actor I ever met was Leonard Nimoy at King's Plaza at Macy's at King's Plaza. So. Oh, um, yeah, that was a long time ago. I was a little little kid at the time. I've met a few I, of the Star Trek actors since. I love that. I love that Macy's because that Macy's, so I don't know if you can see behind me, I got a bunch of the old Migos. Sure. And that Macy's had Migos years after Migo went out of business. Ah. They had cases and cases of Migo figures. So they would pull out, like, you know, the 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 Kirks, the Spocks, the McCoys, the... And the Marvel ones, and for years I was just buying Migos long oh. after they were gone from the shelves. I was going the wrong place. I was going to that Toys R Us and, and to Reds. I was no, not that, going to Macy's. Damn it! Toys R Us was awful. 
(laughs) (laughs) I know. I I know. The Macy's was sitting on like 10-year-old stock. It was great. But you know, Mike, it's funny. I would get into JFK when I was coming in from California to visit my family. My dad would pick me up and I'd say, Dad, before we go anywhere, he said, you're hungry? I said, no, we got to stop at Toys R Us. There's some new Star Trek <laughs> toys out. I got to pick up. And that was back when everything was like exclusive, like Toys R Us exclusive, A and B toy exclusive, all that nonsense. That See, I if, have in if, the garage somewhere. If you guys had made it out to New Jersey, you would have gone to the two guys on Route 22 and they had everything. Uh, <laughs> and it was awesome. Except all this, the emblems were on the wrong side of the shirt. You know, McCoy had pointed hey, ears. What, what, what exit? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, that, that's that's cool. That's cool. Um, so I got I got to ask you because you know it's interesting the evolution of the conventions. Uh, you know, certainly with the Star Trek conventions, it started. Uh, you know, famously, uh, you know, Gene went to promote. Um, the show the week before it opened at Tricon, which was the World Science Fiction Convention. At first, he in Cleveland, he got booed because uh, um, you know they didn't like uh, multimedia stuff. They were very literary. Um, they thought, oh, there's gonna be like Irwin Allen crap. And he showed the pilot um, where no man has gone before, and they loved it so much that he showed the cage. That's the story. And um, you know, then a couple of years later. You have the, you know, when the show is on that library get together, which is considered, quote unquote, the first Star Trek convention in Newark Public Library in New Jersey. That's right. About 300 people <laughs> showed up. And then you start to have, you know, the big conventions, the Statler Hilton and the Commodore Hotel starting in 72. My question is, then you had the cast. They would just show up for free. They would just want they couldn't believe anyone gave cared. Anyone cared. Wow. Look, at they're clapping for me, for me. They still remember this show. They're quoting lines. How is this possible? Then it goes on. You start to pay the actors to come. You know, they get, okay, you, you're X amount to come. Now the business has changed with autographs and pictures and stuff. Can you talk about, like, what that evolution is and how the, quote-unquote, business of conventions has changed? Sure. And and Star Trek is, and I've talked to Bill, you know, about this, and we, we had this wonderful conversation He's talking that. about William Shatner, for those of you who aren't on a first name uh, <laughs> basis with Bill. I had this wonderful conversation with William Shatner about this. Um, and we talked about kind of how Star Trek's responsible for the entire monetization of conventions. Um, and it all kind of goes back to Bill in, 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 a, in a funny kind of way. So... You mentioned Tricon, so that's September of '66, mm-hmm. and they did the they screened the episodes and they did that um, the costume show where they showed you know costumes from the um, from the series and uh, you know famously enough the the woman who was in charge of the costume stuff at Tricon didn't want to do it she didn't want to shill and they kind of pushed her into doing it and then she did it and then she was like uh, and and Jean had to like. You know, uh, had to had to um, charm her. Charm her. <laughs> what was that like, Gene? You know, you I have to, I've had to do many things over the years and uh, convince people in various ways, but uh, she came around. It was all right. <laughs> so, so yeah, you got the library, and then you've got you know uh, seventy two, that first real New York show, which has twenty five hundred people. That all, and they would show up for free. But then everybody starts to see, oh, there's money here. So then it becomes the shows start paying the actors to appear as appearance fees. 
So they're not charging for autographs, but they're getting paid to show up. And it's because, look, supply and demand. You have all these shows that are popping up for Star Trek, and you've got guys like, you know, Al Schuster, who are making a lot of money doing this. And look, you show up in 74, and there's 15,000 people in the building. They're turning away 6,000 people. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of freaking money. And so these actors are like, well, these guys are making more, uh, making a lot of money off of us. And, you know, they're not making money off of Star Trek anymore. I mean, okay, they're making a little bit of money off the animated series, except for Walter. And, but that's not real money. And so they're like, look, if you want us, it's going to cost you. And, and, and that's fair. It's fair to have to pay somebody for their time. So they start paying them to show up. And I think, you know, the, I think Bill might have been the first one to do that. So they're, they're, um, now they're fees. And so with the fees, they would, they'd speak, they'd appear and they would sign autographs for free. And so I remember in the old days going and you'd buy your ticket and you'd get, you know, the, the, the actors would sign for you and you would just, you know, get in line and, you know, you get your autograph. Then the um, they start to bring in other actors that weren't the mains that needed to make money, but they didn't want to pay them. And so those guys would come in and, and you know, they had to figure out a way to, to, to get money for them. And, and they came up with packages or people started charging, um, you know, just for their autograph. And if it was like five hours or some, some amount of money. And then somewhere along the way, um, and this is much more recent as I mean, it's took a long time conventions and, and, and the actors started wanting more and more and more to appear because there's more and more conventions around the country. Um, and then you start to get a model of, well, we just charge for the ticket and the actor can charge for their autograph. And then it's a, they can make more money. The actors can make more money charging for their autographs than a show is going to pay them because now all of a sudden you're, um, how do I say it? When you're not, so the, the Star Trek conventions kind of branch out into these big, you know, multi-genre conventions. So in the, in the seventies, you start out, you start out with the Star Trek conventions just being Star Trek. Then you get into the Star Trek actors showing up at these Comic-Con events a la creation. Then creation really kind of splits off into just doing, you know, branded sci-fi extravaganzas and more with the celebrities, less with the comics. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and creation still does that model where, you know, you can buy a ticket and you get autographs for free from, you know, certain, you know, select actors. So that's still, that model still happens this day. But then you get other shows like, you know, the, the fan expos or, you know, Galaxy Cons or the, you know, um, uh, the read pop shows, the, um, uh, you get those shows where we're bringing in guests from all different fandoms. Mm-hmm. So you get Star Wars, you got Battlestar Galactica, you got Doctor Who, and it's impossible to pay everybody a fee. So I, you know, if you're coming to Richmond, I've got a hundred guests. I can't pay a fee to a hundred guests to sign for free. 
But what I can do is I can guarantee those guests that they're going to make a certain amount of money and they can charge for their autographs. And then if they don't hit, you pay them out. Um, luckily, most of them hit. And they're making their money. They're happy. And then the fans get to choose democratically who they want to get stuff from. So mm -hmm. my my whole thing is I'm, I'm going for a Big Ten philosophy. I'm going for, you know, I'm a Star Trek fan. I'm a comic book fan. I'm not an anime fan, but I'd be silly not to realize that there's a huge fandom for anime. Yeah. And some of these guys are, you know, are, have, have bigger fan bases than, you know, uh, some of the big actors that we know. And so I, I have to appeal to them. And so uh, whereas creation, you know, very, very, um, their business model is, um, here's a Star Trek convention. Here's a Stranger Things convention. Here's a Supernatural convention. And they're doing it for, you know, a thousand, two thousand, you know, five thousand people. We're going for kind of the masses, which, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 people. And in order to get them, you know, we, we, we open it up. So the, mm -hmm. um, so the finances really, really shift, right? So, so creation can do that. Creation can say, okay, you come to, a Star Trek show, you're going to get autographs from these people because mm -hmm. we're going to pay them a fee. And then if you want these other guys, well, you you can just, you know, get them a secondary, you know, uh, you can pay out of pocket. But like a GalaxCon Fan Expo, New York, you know, Read Pop, those kind of shows, you know, your local Comic-Con that brings in, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 guests, we have to, um, you can't really, that model doesn't really work. Yeah, and people don't understand things like San Diego Comic Con and Read Pop, uh, New York Comic Con to a lesser extent. They don't pay the guests. Um, the people that are in the autograph area are are there. They're paying to be there. And then um, well, you, not you have not, not, not New York. So San Diego's right. San Diego's, Diego's nonprofit, right? So. And 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 so the studios are often paying the talent to come to promote their projects you know they're they're at least they're getting them down there and putting them up and in some cases paying them or paying even more for their hair and makeup um but uh but yeah and then and then repop has an area but it, it's um it's inter it's so interesting to see how this has evolved over the years but of course the star trek conventions were the only the beginning of something but conventions pop culture conventions or before it was even known as pop culture existed long before star trek isn't that right and that's something you you become fascinated with so right and and you know i like i said i had gone to those creation shows i've gone to those volcon shows then in the 90s i went to dragon con in atlanta and that was kind of this hybrid beast of you got Star Trek guys, but you're also they're sitting next to D. Snyder, and they were bringing in bands, and it was kind of a big, you know, a big thing, and it was a kind of a party. And the and the thing I always really loved about the old Star Trek shows, which I I try to do in my own way, is, um, you know, Comic Cons have a history of closing at like five six o'clock. Uh, you don't right. have to go home, but you can stay here. Right. Star Trek conventions were always hey. We're going to have uh, a masquerade at night. We're going to all going to have like this other VIP party. We're going to do this thing. Oh, first time I saw Rocky Horror was at a Star Trek convention, right? In a, yeah. in a little side room at midnight. You know, we, people were hanging out being communal until, you know, one, two in the morning. Yeah. And they so, would, they would screen episodes uh, for hours and hours. Yeah. Right. And so that's the culture I loved. 
which is it was social and it wasn't mm -hmm. just about actors. And a lot of the modern uh, iterations of conventions are really have become very, this is the business. This is you come, you shop your vendor room, you, you're after you go home. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make it more communal where people can come hang out and, you know, uh, party like it's, you know, 1974. <laughs> you know? when I was and that's what I, I loved about those creation conventions growing up because when I was like, um, you know, 10, 11, 12, whatever it was, I would go, it would be like my first time staying alone in the city with my friends, you know, in Manhattan. I'd go in from Brooklyn and, and I, you know, we'd hang out and we'd watch these stuff and we'd be there all weekend. It was very exciting. It was like a taste of being an adult because, and you'd yeah. watch these episodes. It was about a sense of community, like-minded people who were in the same thing you were. And, um, and that was the fun of it. It was very different than like going to a show where, like you say, like nine to five and go through the dealer's room and spend what you could with your allowance and then come home. Yeah, and there, and and that's you know that's the, it's lame to me. It's it's I you know I have so many memories. I have more memories of the after hour stuff of hanging out and and meeting people and hang, you know making new friends, meeting girls, all these things that you know it, that was that's one of the things that you know that I believe in. Um, so I'm sorry. So what you asked about. Well, I was asking about that conventions existed long, be and they weren't even necessarily called conventions, but long before uh, Star Trek, obviously. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of, because this is sort of an interest of yours, is uh, the history of these fan conclaves? So I love conventions, right? So I love, I love, I love conventions. I've always loved conventions. I love what I do. And I'm also a big history buff. So, you know, then you, you pair those two and then all of a sudden I've got, you know, you know, diving down the rabbit hole of conventions. So, so fan conventions, fan conventions really start in 1889. Mm -hmm. Um, and the first fan convention, there was a, there was a story paper called the golden hours, which I know people, you know, this isn't video, but like this was, that's, I'm holding up a thing where I don't know if they could see it. The, um, it was a story paper from the 1880s, 1890s, which was like uh, it's, uh, steampunk stories and mystery stories and adventure stories. And, you know, they called it, you know, boys adventure. But that's uh, a loose term. And so the guy, the, the guy who was the editor of that, that, uh, that newspaper, he put on a show in Brooklyn, New York um, at a skating rink. And it was the the Golden Hours convention, and they they it was all like you know writers that were writing this stuff, and the first the two headlining guests were P.T. Barnum, wow, um, he was seventy nine years old, and Edward Ellis, and Edward Ellis wrote a book called The Steam Man on the Prairies in eighteen sixty eight, and he's essentially the creator of steampunk. Hmm. And so the two big guests are this guy who's this writer who's the creator of steampunk that all the kids loved. So it'd be like having, you know, like, uh, you know, Stanley, right? Like, or, and, and you've got P.T. Barnum, who's P.T. Barnum. Now he's at the end of his life, but it's still P.T. Barnum. And 2,000 people show up to this roller skating rink, March 30, 1889. And they had musicians, they had uh, Civil War veterans. 
They had ventriloquists. They had guys who were doing caricatures. Um, and that show went until midnight, right? Like that show wow. ran late. And uh, it was at the Palace Rink in Brooklyn. And that's... It all comes back to Brooklyn, baby. So they do this at the Palace Rink in Brooklyn. 2,000 people show up. And that's that's your first fandom convention. Um, two years later, well, before we get to that, so that's, I mean, you know, imagine it's 1889 and you you get to go hang out with people that are reading this thing. And I think there were, they had 10,000, they had a club and there were 10,000 kids that were members of this Golden Hours Club. Yeah, and they so were partying like it's 1889. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and this, uh, greatest geekier ever. <laughs> that's the oh. band. Wow. Oh, that. man, that's cool. That's really cool. That's the Golden Hours badge. And, uh, you know, if you remember that club, you had this badge. It's like a and mini po mini policeman's badge for those uh, uh, not uh, seeing yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a small little, you know, bad, you know, pin back badge that was made in 1889 that says the Golden Hours Club. And it's got a horseshoe and a, and a, uh, uh, one of those things that they run down the, um, oh, were, not a whip, but a, uh, um, the reins? Like no, no, the fire. Yeah, when they're torch. running a, a torch, a torch, yes, a torch. <laughs> yeah. Woo! How many points? Five points. <laughs> Woo! Um, and, and that's the start of fandom conventions. Um, and it doesn't stop there. In, in 1891, in March, in March of 1891, there's a, convention event in London called the Vril Ya Bazaar and Fete. So there's a book. They wanted H.G. Wells, but he was too expensive. He said he had to have 50 grand for autographs or he wasn't coming. And, and we had to run out. Um, the, uh, no, he just traveled back in time from 1979 <laughs> and brought Nicholas Miller. Uh, uh, so there was a book called Vril the Power of the Coming Race, which was published in 1871, and it was like the Star Wars of its time. It was about people with superpowers, and it was, you know... The so Spanish it started off really good and then got really bad until... <laughs> then suddenly it was really good again, but then yeah. you were afraid it was going to get bad? But then The Mandalorian well, is coming out next week. God. Well, and it had only been 20 years, so they didn't have time to really screw it up yet. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think it took, uh, what, 77, 97, 97. And it was the same weekend that uh, Free Enterprise came out, I think, was when they began the... the uh, <laughs> um, so These two so guys are obsessed by Jules Verne. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Inglorious Vernesperts. That's totally the movie. Steampunk. <laughs> uh, so this thing happens, and it's people dressed up, they cosplayed, um, it was scheduled, it was scheduled for two, uh, three days, but it was kind of a bomb and the promoter lost his ass and they ended up extending it a few extra days, hoping people would come. It didn't work. Um, but they had costume balls and it was all this programming around this book that everyone loved. And that's your first sci-fi convention. Right. Right. Um, that's crazy. So. I mean, conventions have been going on a lot longer than anybody, you know, would would ever imagine. Um, 
And then your first, what we would call modern day sci-fi con, right? So there's some people that got together in 1929 in Harlem, you know, and, and that's technically the first sci-fi thing, sci-fi convention, but it's, it's not a lot of people. It's like a handful of people. Really? What, what, tell, because that's fascinating to me. So the first, this happened in Harlem in the 20s. Um, what year did you say again? 29. 1929. It was December of 29. Oh, so it was right at the beginning of the Great Depression. So yeah. that could have affected attendance. Um, yeah, a little bit. You know, because Cab Calloway couldn't charge as much because people didn't have money. But um, he wanted to tell... But tell us about that. What was that? Like, what was it celebrating? It was just these are guys that are fans of the bo of books. So now you're getting right. into this. Literary, so now you're getting to that Worldcon kind of literary thing. So people mm -hmm. that took, you know, their sci-fi very seriously. Um, and and that's then in, in 36 in Philly, you get 12 fans in a house that are calling it a convention, but it's, it's 12 fans in a house. Um, <laughs> that's a pretty good podcast name, by the way. <laughs> Twelve fans in a house. Yep. God, you thought it was hard to uh, moderate that uh, rebuttal episode of Trexperts with like Ooh. eight people. Imagine twelve people, right? And in a house. So yeah. then there's there's a thing in thirty seven in I think it's in in London where there's twenty fans that show up for the for att attendance is going up. It's they're calling it a convention. And it's a far cry from the 2000 we had at the roller rink in 89, in 1889. But then you get Worldcon in 39. So July, fourth weekend in New York, you get Worldcon, you know, New York Con 1. That's, you know, where you've got um, Isaac Asimov, you know, Ray Bradbury, Frank R. Paul is there. And that's July 2 through 4. Everybody went to the World's Fair after that. And that's your first real big convention. And that's mm -hmm. a couple hundred people um, in the program guide book. They name, they name all the, um, they name all the people that are there. You know, this is the. They didn't pay him. They just told Isaac Asimov women would be there, and he's like, "Oh, I'm there." So I don't give a shit. They told Arthur C. Clarke. So that's the book. Oh, from that. <laughs> wow! Wow! Look at that! Wow! Look at you. Looks like Mike a yearbook. is holding up. The um, the program book for the first World Science Fiction Convention. That's, so that's they call, amazing. They call them science fictionists, and that's the science list fictionists. Of wow! Tell us some of the people that were there. I mean, that we would know. I mean, what you know? Uh, see, the uh, Ray Harryhausen is a fan. Yeah. Um, Jim Mooney is an appearance. Uh, the, science, the science fictionists sounds great. I, I like yeah, that name. Sam Moskowitz. Sam Moskowitz. Uh, wow. Um, just looking for names that I recognize. Sam Moskowitz did the catering from the uh, Carnegie Deli. It's like, <laughs> hey, we're gonna make sure everybody has some good food here. So Forrest Ackerman is there as a fan. Right. Sure. Okay. So the story with Forry is that he's there with his girlfriend. And they're in cosplay, so they're dressing up in these costumes, and, and it's all over the internet. You can get, Google it and right. see. And him and his girlfriend are referred to, you know, by you know costumers as the the mother and father of convention costuming. Mm -hmm. So you know, there's costuming before. There's costuming in 
in uh, in in England in in, uh, in the 1800s when it's that you know Vril book. But right in that 1939 World Con, these guys are you know people are dressing up as you know Flash Gordon, you know Buck Rogers type stuff. Wow, and it's really it's early cosplay. So these you know these kids have no idea. Um, <laughs> And, so they were uh, the first to get drunk in the hotel bar while dressed up. <laughs> they were getting drunk, um, and so and then you know people, you know, Doctor Acula, you know, is an appearance there. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, because that's Forrest J. Ackerman, Doctor Acula. Yeah. Um. So, oh, Robert Heinlein is there. Okay. I mean, Robert. It's R O B T dot A dot Heinlein. Yeah, uh, and this he's thing dressed is, up as Johnny Rico. That's right. Um, and and uh, you know, eventually we get the time enough for love. So the it's that's 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 the beginning of modern conventions, right? So right there, you know, a couple hundred people show up to New York. They 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 they're talking, but they're talking, you know. They're talking literary and they're talking, you know, serials, mm -hmm. right? And that's kind of their thing. And they're, but they're taking, they take it very seriously. But then you start to get, you know, every year a Worldcon. They took a couple of years off because of World War II. Um, but then you start to see things popping up all over the country off of that. And, and people heard about it. So you start to, you have fanzines. So when I mentioned Jim Mooney a minute ago, you know, he was doing, fan, you know, he's doing fanzine stuff. That I, mean, I got a couple of those like Paradox. And you know, through the fanzines, you start to get fandom, right? Like people are doing these, you know, these, however they were printing it back in the 40s. And it starts to make its way across the country. Fans now start mailing with each, you know, talking to each other through the fanzines or by mail. And, uh, and that's how, you know, fandom really, really, you know, comes to be is the yeah. proliferation of fanzines and conventions were the engine of that. Because people would come to the convention, get the fanzines, and then go back home to Nebraska or Montana or wherever they were, right. and then friends, and then it 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 um, it gets out. I believe that the kind of became the the beginning of um, rather than having a lot of people who were fans of the same thing, we now have fans who are in communication with each other and are in fact you know creating a a fan community. Yeah. yeah, exactly. How many of these early conventions recurred, right? Like, how many mm. of them were like, hey, we're going to do this annually, biannually, or or however often they did it? You see a bunch of them doing it, and then, but they don't last. So you'll see, you know, three, four, five years. There, the war really, you know, really put a put a um, a hamper on things, right? So sure. you, know, you have that. You have the thirty nine and the forty world cons. You don't really, you don't have a world con. I think you have 41, um, but you don't have 42, 43, 44, 45. Right. Um, maybe there was a 45, but I, I don't, you don't have a world con until after the war. And look, everybody went to war, like all these people. And it was kind of like, you know, we had uh, paper shortages and, and you know, the, all the people that would be going to these things are out, you know, you know, getting blown up in, 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 in Europe. So there was a really like it was like it was kind of like growing and it was a thing. But then all of a sudden you you take a step back for a few years. 
but then everyone comes back from the war and you got a bunch of guys also come back from the war that had been reading science fiction and, uh, you know, and comics and, and what have you sure. over there. And so one of the things about, you know, the military is the military has always been, um, you know, a place that created fans for this stuff because you got mm-hmm. people that are meeting other people from across the country, you know, now all being together. So you, you know, the military is a really communal thing. Um, not that I've ever served and, 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 um, you know, that wasn't my path, but, you know, people from Kansas are now sharing bunks with guys from California sure. and guys from New York. And now they're all sharing things and, you know, they're sitting in, in the middle of nowhere and they're start, they got books and they're reading books and, right. you know, somebody passes off, you know, an Isaac, an Isaac Asimov book to somebody. And then all of a sudden you've, you're creating science fiction fans mm-hmm. all over the country mm-hmm. so that when they come back now, these guys are used to reading, you know, this stuff. And that really leads to a renaissance in the late 40s, early 50s of, you know, a, a real growth in sci-fi. Well, plus the, you know, the entire uh, comic book industry uh, exploded at, in the late 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it all the, all the, you know, the IPs that we know of now basically started then and so this was the golden age of comics so naturally as those grew that fandom exploded as well right right and so you're getting you know they're selling uh, you know a million copies of captain marvel adventure you know yeah. Captain marvel adventures in the war a million copies of superman it's it's those numbers are unheard of now yep no, yeah. and so you also have the explosion of radio dramas too. Absolutely, you know, and you're seeing, you know, Captain Midnight and The Shadow and a science fiction theater and all this X stuff on the radio one. as well. Yep. Yes, uh, all of that. And so the original now, Galaxy Quest radio show that the movie was based <laughs> <right>. on. Only <laughs> hope. Um, and then, and so then, in the '40s, you start to see these shows popping up everywhere. And fandom really exploding. And you don't you don't get Comic Cons yet. You don't get your first Comic Con until '64. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in New York, 1964, in a in a tiny little room with Steve Ditko. You know, your, your Comic Cons are birthed. The, the one and only convention Steve Ditko ever went to. With great uh, power comes great autographs. That's right. And he would not think about charging for an autograph, sir. Yeah. Uh, and Rand wouldn't. Uh, Ayn Rand wouldn't uh, appreciate that. (laughs) um, So, but you have this huge growth in, in these shows. And, and I think Ashley asked if they were uh, repeated. Yeah. You see a lot of, you see a lot of starts and stops. You see a lot of, you know, shows happening like, but there are, there are shows that have like the Philly show has been happening every year for, you know, I think since, you know, the 1940, mm-hmm. right? I think that that's, you know, that's another one that, that has a, a long legacy. And so you've got a couple of shows that have been going on for decades. So that that's mm-hmm. still, um, and then there are others that, you know, were, you know, one-offs or there are others that were, you know, happened for 10, 15 years and then they faded away. Uh, a lot of this is uh, as people grow up or as people age out, finding the people that take over for them. Yeah. And so that's, that was always, you know, in the history of fandom, um, it's always, that's always been the challenge is who's going to keep the thing going. But then the people that take over kind of 
don't do as good of a job or they're not as it's not as good you know it's not it doesn't right. last but like uh worldcon happens every year by clockwork except during a pandemic where they yeah. went virtual um you know philly happens every you know that philly show happens every year uh, and san diego's been happening since the late 60s early 70s and that thing is just it's insane how it's grown and yeah. it's it's just a phenomenal convention and it, it you know a lot of the they've managed to find the next generation of people to run it and you know have just continued to grow it and um make it you know something really special and that's but but that is the epitome of industry now yeah so yes. that is very so it's it's a great show and i highlight it's like you know going to you know it's the mecca of comic cons right so how can everyone go at least once in their lives but it is not it is such a different animal right Oh, Such absolutely. You can't compare a, it to it's anything. A it's a trade show now. It's a trade show. Well, even when you're at New York Comic Con, you know, and they say, oh, you know, this is like San Diego on the East Coast. It's not. It's, it's a totally not different convention. Yeah. You know, Reed Pop can't like hope to compete with uh, with San Diego. It's unique. And part of that is because so many people go on their own volition because they love this and they're close and can drive. And it's just a combination. And it's a beautiful place. Uh, uh, San Diego, uh, the gas lamp and everything, great restaurants. It's, it's unique. It's totally unique. There's nothing that, that compares to it. Uh, you know, unlike say, boy, the Star Trek cruise is going on this week and you would have to pay me a lot of money to get me on a Star Trek cruise because there's nowhere to get away from people. You're on a cruise <laughs> and you're stuck with them. That's right. And those corridors are really narrow, Mark. And if somebody's on one of those little scooters, oh my God, I would be toast. I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, it's amazing how the conventions have expanded. Like they're on boats, they're in Eastern Europe. I was, I was, I remember I was filming Pandora and in the subway, uh, there was this giant poster and it was like Romanian Comic Con. And I'm like, what? Romania? And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> featuring only Romanian comic book heroes. But, well, okay, here's a $20,000 question. Dr. Acula actually showed up at that one, too. <laughs> he rules over it. It's like he has, like, the big ball in the middle of the night. Um, I got to ask you, before you ask sure. that question, sure. Mark, you mentioned the cruise. So when I was a kid, um, Joe Motes, the Vulcan promoter, mm -hmm. was the first one doing those Star Trek um, boat shows. And... You know, he did the cruises, and I always wanted to go, but I could never afford it. Yeah. Um, I, we just had the money, and it was like, oh, you're paying, you know, five hundred dollars for a cabin for the week, and 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 it was totally worth it. I just didn't have that kind of money. No. If it was if it was Gilligan's Island, I'm there. But Star Trek, I don't get it. <laughs> I, I I don't understand why why I want to be on a boat for a week with the uh, anyway. So, that's that's but now there's something. Now, like, there's no way in hell you could get me on a boat. And you're talking to somebody who puts on shows for 50,000 people in conventions. <laughs> but I, you will not get me on a Star Trek cruise because I, oh, my God. The cabins oh, are so small. I, I can't I can't do it. I'm not interested. <laughs> not for me. If you see the marketing materials, somebody posted them online the other day, and I saw it. Like, there's a brochure, like, compare. And they're like, what makes uh, the, the cruise different than other conventions? Well, the celebrities can't leave. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. That's there really no encouraging. And, Although and I have just, to say, a lot of the actors, I'm sure you've had these conversations with them too, they enjoy the cruise. It's different. They, it's, it's a different feel. You know, they like it. The, I mean, all kidding aside. That's the pitch, Mark, is uh, you do like the Poseidon adventure, but on the Star Trek cruise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I love it. Let's do it. Let's do I'm it. Ready. Let's go make that movie right. I'd make that movie right now. <laughs> <laughs> Irwin Allen's <laughs> The Enterprise Adventure. What was your question? What was your question? Go, ahead, yeah, go ahead, Mike. Oh, right. So, so, you know, we were kind of, and we've been talking about how the, the convention scene has really, you know, all always been about this, this idea of community, how, you know, uh, one of the things that happened in, uh, in World War II was how a lot of fandom went viral, you know, in a, in kind of a very organic, very tangible way with the passing of, you know, books and comics and all of those things. Um, and then people coming back together in these, these conventions. And, you know, when I was, growing up and going to conventions, they were the source of information. That was where you talk to people, you found out things, you heard about stuff, you saw it for the first time. Um, and, and obviously one of the big changes, you know, in the last 20 years has been the uh, the rise of the the internet, right? The the, the, the sort of the pseudo community of fans of, of which we're, we're a part, obviously, because we're contributing with the podcast. Um, and, you know, for the, the most part, uh, it seems like a lot of those activities, like I'm there to find stuff out. I'm there to connect with other people um, who love the things I do. A, a lot of those things have been um, been supplanted in some ways by interaction on the internet. So, I mean, you just sort of looking at sort of the evolution of these things, you know, I mean, number one, has there been, you know, uh, an aging out, number one, I think. And then number two, you know, what has been the thing, you know, sort of even going all the way back to the first, you know, convention with the crazy real dudes, like, what is the thing that you think is particular about putting people in a room that will always make it compelling um, versus we're just getting on Zoom or we're getting on a message board or, or what have you? Okay. There's a lot to parse here. Um, you ask excellent question. The uh, so during the pandemic we went virtual, so you couldn't do shows. So the whole so we're sitting here in March of 2020. We just done you know almost 20,000 people in Richmond, and and uh, two weeks later, um, boom, the world shut down. Yep. We're like okay, we're gonna go virtual. We start you know. Um, we start doing first, we start doing a couple of, you know, Q and A's on the web. And then we, um, and then we, we built that software and we, we spent, you know, six figures building out our own proprietary thing for chat software. And, um, you know, we've got William Shatner doing one-on-one -on -one chats with people and Jonathan doing chats with people. And for 18 months, we were the only place in the world that you could interact with Star Trek guests. And I'm really proud of that. It's like one of like the highlights of my life was that I was able and, and, and people who didn't want to spend money could just watch the free Q and A's and thousands upon thousands of people across the world did that. And, um, and, and we sold autographs and, and they did the chats and, and all the, all the, you know, the track guys that we could get did it. And, you know, Bill, you know, uh, William uh, Shatner did it and, and Walter did it and we did stuff with George Walter Koenig. Right. And we did stuff <laughs> the, with, the gentleman who plays Chekhov. Right. We did. We want to panic. We did. We did all that. We did all this stuff with the DS9 cast and the next gen cast, you know, with the exception of a few here and there. And it was and it was it was and, and my company grew. Pre pandemic, we had 13 people. Post pandemic, we had almost 40. Wow. So coming out of the pandemic because we had to grow this whole warehouse operations and build software. And, and it was us and like Cameo. 
became this huge thing also mm-hmm. where everybody wanted videos of talent and, and 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 we all that was it that's the future you know people don't need to leave the house they can just see this stuff online right the minute the pandemic the world opened up it was over done we can't get it's we're doing it barely exists anymore the virtual mm-hmm. stuff Cameo laid off 85% or some, like, I don't know, some silly, crazy amount of their staff has been laid off because Mm -hmm. the money's not there anymore. Right. I haven't laid anyone off because I'm just transitioning back to live events and we can do flip. And so now we're, you know, teaching all these people that were, you know, learning how to do, you know, that worked for us for the the virtual thing. Now we're in the live events business again. That live, that virtual business is gone. Now there's a handful here and there, and we still do a few things, but when we do it, you're getting views in the dozens and hundreds, not in the tens of thousands. And mm-hmm. that's because people can just leave the house yeah. and, and they want to go meet, you know, Terry Farrell at a convention. Right. Online. And there's something where tribal people, humanity is tribal. We want to be with our tribe. We want to be around others. We're pack animals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are people that want to be left alone. And, and Mark, I think you and I are similar in that. We <laughs> want to be left We keep walking into situations with thousands of people and getting run over by scooters. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, I, I think that you're, no matter what interaction you do on the Internet, it's not the same as human interaction. I have amazing people, forget about me, people have home theaters that are better than movie theaters. Mm-hmm. And yet the movie theater business is still alive. No matter how much, you know, Hollywood has tried to murder it. People still go to the movies. Why? It's a communal It's a, it's a communal thing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing, I, I swear to you, the energy. So when I do my shows, I, there are certain events that I go to every show that I, that I have to see. I have to be in the room and it's what keeps me going. So when I, on Saturday night, when we do the costume contest and I've got, you know, two, 3,000 people in a ballroom watching the costumers on stage, the energy, there's nothing happening. It's people in costumes going on stage showing off their thing, but there's this electric energy in the room and there's two to 3,000 people sharing experience and they're happy. When we do our rest, we do this cosplay wrestling show where we'll have, you know, Spider-Man versus Loki and it's, it's professional wrestlers in cosplay. And it's it's the real SmackDown. That's right. And you should see it. It's one of the greatest things. Went viral a couple years ago because I bought a Jeffrey the Giraffe costume and uh, we did a thing, you know, we did a meta joke after Toys of the week, Toys R Us closed. Wow. Um, uh, we had an Amazon delivery driver bash them out of the out of the, oh the rubble. Um, but you have thousands of people in that room watching that that show, cheering, hooting, hollering, having a blast, and they're 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 they now share this thing. Um, you can't interact on the internet like you can in person. Yep, you can't. You're not in a room with people face to face. There's an energy at a con- at a good convention. There's an energy of of people connecting. 
Um, the other thing is celebrities. I mean, it's a much different world than it was when I was a kid. Back then, it was oh, you got D. Kelly coming, um, but and and as and but but when that came out, it was like the show had been canceled for how many years? They were coming out to the movies, but D didn't have a real career other than the movies anymore. And uh, you know, Shatner did. Shatner was doing T.J. Hooker, and he he's always had a career. Um, but you didn't see real. You weren't getting real TV and movie stars going to shows, conventions. And today you do. Yeah. You know, we've got like the cast of Daredevil, like Vincent D'Onofrio and, and, and Charlie Cox coming to Richmond. Like, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. But it's and interesting because you, you talk about what seeing those celebrities does for the fans, right? How exciting is them. What we never talk about is what the fans do for those actors. And mm-hmm. look at T. Kelly. He retired after Night of Lepus in the early 70s and then did the Star Trek movies. But um, I think those fans that love that he got, that kept him going. That kept him alive, you know? I mean, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them, they really love the adulation and the interaction. And I think that they have gotten, you know, some of them uh, a lease on, a new lease on life thanks to the, the love they've gotten. It kept Dee alive, it kept Jimmy alive, it kept Michelle alive. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I swear to God, they're... they're Nichelle was not healthy for many years. Right. But she would go to shows and she would light up like a Christmas tree. And she mm-hmm. was happy to be there. And it was really, it was such a hard thing for me because you're like, oh, do I bring Nichelle because she's got dementia? And it's, you know, what are you presenting to the fans? But on the other hand, she would just be sitting at home being miserable so she could come have thousands of people in Minneapolis, Minnesota, adore her, tell her how wonderful she is, you know, and she would have that moment. Not that she would remember it, but it would bring her joy in that moment for that time. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're completely right about the, there's a, there's a golden age comic book artist named Alan Bellman, who nobody really knew. And, uh, and he started doing my shows. He, he lived in Florida in 2006 and, and I kind of found him and, and started putting him on the circuit. And, and he recently passed away and he was in his nineties. And I, and I, and, and I loved Alan and Alan like had this whole new life. He wrote a book. He traveled the world. You know, he was, he was a Captain America artist in the forties and he stopped being a comic artist in the fifties. Right, like when the big, you know, Wortham thing happened in the crash in the in the mid fifties, he was he was out. He had a fifteen year career, and then he went off and had a whole other life. And then his in his seven, you know, two thousand six. So you know, uh, I guess he was in his eighties, right, or he or seventies, whatever it was. He came back in with me, starts doing these shows, and then we get him out everywhere. And he just it kept him alive you know, for years. And he, you know, I remember talking to me, he's like, Mike, this is, I love this. This is the best thing that's ever happened in my life. And there's a lot of celebrities that this happens for. And you forget them. Even working actors like Jonathan, you know, Frank's loves, loves fans, loves being out there, loves giving back. And, and some of these actors love getting, not all, not all, but some of them love the adulation. And, People give William Shatner a bad rap sometimes, and and people misunderstand, 
you know, him. And I got to tell you, he doesn't have to do conventions. He yes. doesn't need the money, you know, and, and he's out there more than anyone every week as much as he can. Sometimes he does two, you know, a lot of times he does two conventions in a week. He'll come to me on Friday and Saturday, and then I'm going to do another show on Sunday. Right. And he's not doing it for the money. He's doing it for, to basically be loved. Right. Well, like people, be, what they don't understand about Bill is also he's shy. So sometimes they take, you know, the way he may behave towards them as an affront when it's just sometimes he can be a little awkward around because he can't understand it. It almost is that imposter syndrome. And, you know, Bill, if you treat Bill well, he treats you well. Yeah. He's the greatest guy, the greatest guy. It is the great joy of my life. Like it is, it is the most wonderful thing that's in my life that William Shatner knows who I am and that we get to do this and, and we get to travel the country together. And, uh, and he's, he's so wonderful. Um, mm -hmm. And yet, but he's a human being like the rest of us. He's complicated like the rest of us. He, he is shy. He also has a sarcastic streak to him and he can be a bit of a, you know, a, you know what? And, and it's all fun. And he's earned it. He, he's earned it. He wants things done a certain way. He expects things to be, you know what? I'm half his age and I do too. You know, it's like <laughs> I talked to, talk to a, a buddy of mine who has a show, right? And I want to name him, but he's like, "Oh, I hate Shatner. He was complete, you know, ass when he came to our show." And I'm like, "Okay, what'd you do wrong?" And yeah. like, we didn't do anything wrong. And then I find out Bill showed up, and the hotel room wasn't ready, so he had stuck in the lobby for 20 minutes while they figured it out. And then they had to put him in one room because the suite wasn't ready. And then he had to move rooms to the suite later on. And then at the show, they had photo ops in, in a whole different area of the show, and so they made him go through the show in, in a in a in a in a golf cart, you know, through fans. You know, uh, Mark, imagine you know you're walking through and you're getting hit by scooters. Imagine, you know, it's a golf cart with William Shatner driving through thousands of fans. Yeah. Now, if you've been hit by Shatner, you'd be never different. hear the end of it. <laughs> and so I found, you know, and, 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 you know, Bill's getting up there in age, but I found that when he gets annoyed, it's generally with good reason. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, he doesn't want to sign for fans at dinner or in airports because he, he wants to go about his life. And some people don't like hearing no. You know, he's not being rude. He's just, that's him. Um, but he's, but working with him is like, it's I, it, nine year old me in Brooklyn never would have dreamed that I'd be working with William Shatner and that he would be doing shows with me for years and, and we would, we would have this relationship. Um, and the, um, um, oh my God, how did we get down this path? The, uh, <laughs> um, but I do, I want to ask you though, Mike, um, is it hard? You talk about all these people that you've gotten to know, that you've given opportunities, you've made them a lot of money. Um, is it hard for you when there's something, because you're a fan first and foremost, of yes. something you love or a show you love, or but you know that they're not going to be a draw and, and you can't you can't do that for them. Is that is that something frustrating? Or do you sometimes roll the dice just because you love something anyway? So I'll, I'll touch on that. To wrap up the Shatner thing, that's all that you have these people, a lot of these people do it because they want to interact with the fans and because they absorb it. And and the, Shatner's favorite thing is his Q&A. When he's got 2,000, 3,000 people in a room hanging on his every word and he gets to talk to them and he gets to share of himself. And that's free. Like, you, mm -hmm. that's an with William Shatner and you have to buy the ticket to get into the show. 
Right. Right. But if you want to go, you get to see William Shatner on stage and, but he loves it. And a lot of these guys love it and bring joy from it. Now you're saying, so there's two things about the people that, you know, aren't going to make money or, you know, not sell tickets. So, you know, the Hollywood statement, one for you, one for them. Right. Yep. Totally. So you're going to see certain things at my shows that you're going to scratch your head. Like, I don't know, there's a certain group of actors in Richmond that the rest of my office, who are much younger than me, look at me and go, what are you doing there? Why are you taking up that space? Why are you booking flights and hotels and taking up space and, and taking budget for that thing? You know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And then I can yeah. from me. And, and we're going to that. Right. And, <laughs> and but it'll be 30 people in that room. 50 people tops, right? Um, and the, um, but that's a me thing. And that's for fans like us. That's for an older fan base. And it's not as big as. And so when I book the shows, I'm trying to book Moneyball, right? Like I'm trying to book to get everybody. And I'm trying to keep the young people happy, 20s people, their 20s people. But I also got to think about people in their 50s and 60s. And so sometimes I'll book a thing and I can't do it for everybody, and I can't do it every time, and everybody wants in the show, and there's only so many spots, and God knows I already booked too many people. Um, but I'm always going to throw in a couple of weird things here and there that are like my little things. Um, and it doesn't, you know, which one of these things isn't like the others. Mm -hmm. and, so just, mm -hmm. and then it's, you know, it's, it, and also comics. Like I'm a big, huge comic book fan, and if I got rid of all the comics, comic guys... Uh, I more people are coming for the celebrities than for the comic guys. Mm -hmm. So comic guys always get upset. You know, it's like, oh, this isn't a comic con anymore. Um, well, first off, I don't call my shows comic cons. Right. They're now con because it's not a comic con. Um, but people, more people are coming for the actors than they are for the comic guys. But I still spend a lot of money bringing in the comic guys because I want to service that audience. Right. But I can make a lot more money if I just cut. You know, I cut that to the bone. We're brought in a few, but I still, I do that in service of me. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I do bring in people and I try to fit in, you know, little weird ones here and there to make it more eclectic. Um, and then there's people that are absolute, you know, the one thing is, and we we're talking about this before the show, I, I don't really want to bring in people that aren't going to be able to connect with fans. So mm -hmm. it's challenging sometimes when somebody's a real jackass to want to bring them back or to want to bring them in the first place. And there's been a lot of people who, you know, we're who, sorry. Um, we'll try and do better. Apparently <laughs> <laughs> Richmond will be our last show. <laughs> um, no, there's, I mean, there's far worse than you guys can ever be. <laughs> oh, is that a challenge? <laughs> I said you have the curve. Are you challenging us to a do? <laughs> um, there's a reason why I'll never, ever book John Cusack ever again in my life. Um, <laughs> That's funny. I just watched um, 16 Candles last night. And I'm a huge fan of his work. And I, you know, mm -hmm. Gross Point Blanks are my favorite movies. Just yeah. And working with him professionally ever again. Um, yeah. That's his reputation. Right. And so it's a shame because people are fans and, you know, you have to separate. I can separate the artist from the art, but a lot of fans can't. And right. you want to give the best fan experience. You want fans to come and feel like, you know, they had a good experience with the talent. And yeah. Feel like they had a connection. Yeah. And even if 
And even if an actor isn't Jack, like not a nice person, but they're good with the fans, front facing, mm-hmm. I'll, right. like, I'll tolerate that. Like I'll, t- I'll take the abuse in the back so the fans can have a good experience. But right, not good to the fans. We we got nothing to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have to say, you mentioned the live events are back, and they are back in a big way. Uh, uh, you're going to be in Richmond March 24th to the 26th. Um, and then uh, back in Raleigh the week after Comic Con in July, Raleigh, uh, North Carolina, July 27th to 30th. You got an Austin show coming up in September, and then back in Columbus, Ohio at the very end of the year in December. Um, how do you pick? Uh, how do you pick uh, where you're going to land for these shows? So it's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that come into play. So it's if so we're We've got these four big Alex cons this year. We're also going to expand out. We're launching uh, what we used to have pre-pandemic. We have these shows called Animate, which are anime, animation, video game conventions. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to start doing a couple of those, and we're going to start doing a couple of horror events. Awesome. Um, what I'm looking for is cities where we can fill a gap and service a community and a need. And so it doesn't make sense for me to bring a Galaxy Con to a city that already has a big convention. So, um, New York doesn't need me. They have New York Comic Con. You know, um, Chicago has two big shows, C2E2 and Fan Expo Chicago. They don't need me. You know, Cincinnati, Ohio has Cincinnati Comic Expo. They don't need me. Austin didn't have a show anymore. You know, Wizard Mm -hmm. Um, Raleigh didn't have a show when, you know, a, 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 a multi-genre Comic-Con when we came in. So I'm looking for cities that need a multi-genre Comic-Con, or if they have one, it's not really servicing the needs of the community. Like, it's not a big, you know, thing. Um, but Austin didn't have a show. Columbus didn't really have anything. Uh, Raleigh didn't have anything. And Richmond didn't have anything. And so I'm looking at places where we can come, plant the flag, and not be not be jerks, not come in and be like, oh, we're going to, you know, and I'm not looking to compete, you know, and, and, and start wars with anybody. And, and, you know, it, it's got, I, you know, I want it to be holistic. Um, and there's lots of places all over the country that don't have big shows and, and kind of what I've proven, you know, I've been doing this 17 years is that you can put a big comic con in all over the country you know, people think, oh, you got to be in a major, major, you know, New York, you know, Chicago, California, you know, a major city to have a big show. And it's like, no, there's just as many people in Raleigh, North Carolina or Richmond, Virginia or Columbus, Ohio, that are fans of this stuff that want to come out and experience and they deserve it, too. Right. Um, and that's kind of the it's kind of the booking philosophy. So I find it. You know, interesting and cool that you're getting into you know the the anime conventions, the horror conventions. You know, I'm uh, I I'm rather heterodox myself when it comes to my my fandom. I'm a huge horror fan. I'm a huge anime fan. Um, you know, just because I'm a fan, I cast you know basically the entire cast of Hellraiser on uh, on Dota as voice actors, and you know a bunch of other horror icons. Um, and I had the opportunity to to work with like some insanely uh popular uh voice actors like i've seen like some of these guys like with lines for their autographs that i walked in to go say hi to to 
Yuri Lowenthal I've known since I was 18 years old. Naruto and Ben 10, all this crap. And uh, I, I walk into a little convention in Allen, Texas, and there's a big line that's wrapped around the building. And there's all these people seated at their uh, at their seats to kind of sign their autographs. And I'm like, does anybody know where Yuri Lowenthal's line is? And somebody looks at me from that big line and goes, this is it, Jack. And I'm like, whoa, okay. And I guess like, you know, these these fandoms are also, um, they're also different. And I guess that's the appeal of doing a different convention. But, you know, is there a reason why you don't want to just say to heck with it? Let's just kind of take like, the Trek fans, the sci-fi fans, the comic book fans, the horror people, the anime people, and smush them in together into one more powerful robot. So I do. So that's, well, except horror. So GalaxyCon has, Galaxy, if I call the show GalaxyCon, GalaxyCon has the celebrities, the Star Trek, the Star Wars, the Battlestar, and the comics, and the anime guys, okay. and the animation guys, and the, vo- and, the, and the wrestlers. And that's, a, that's I put on a big show. Right. I can't fit everything. So horror right. kind of never, there's a long, long history as to why we never really dove into horror. But also horror doesn't really fit in with, it doesn't. a different really, audience. A different audience. And the type of show that horror fans deserve. Like I, when I do a horror show, it's going to be a rock show. Like it's going to be a party. And it's right. a different kind of party than the nerd prom I'm putting on at a galaxy con, right? <laughs> it's going to be a lot more black. Yeah, way more black. <laughs> and, uh, and and it's a different animal. And so I haven't really been able to do horror. I'll occasionally bring in Jeffrey Combs, who, as many people know him from Reanimator as Star, you know, Star Trek. But and I'll bring in, you know, your occasional somebody who's known for horror, but I'm never really gonna have Kane Hodder, for example, right? Exactly. But I'm never gonna bring in a whole cast of Friday the thirteenth. But at a horror show, I can really kind of deep dive into doing these cast reunions or doing other cool things. The, the animated shows are, it's, it's, it came from, you know, there's such a big audience. So if you mentioned Yuri, he's a huge name in that industry. And the kids today, there's more anime fans or animation fans than there are Star Trek fans. Mm-hmm. So you have voice actors that are have bigger lines and, and make more money than any Star Trek guest. And 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 it, it's a funny story, but like I had George Takei at my 2013 show, and I put, and he was sitting, you know, at his booth. Next to him was Jason David Frank from the Power Rangers. And then there was the guy, Andrew Hussey, who created a webcomic called Homestuck. And uh, not that you would have ever heard of that. And the Homestuck guy had a line that went out the side door down, I mean, literally... Uh, blocks, blocks. It must have been over a thousand people on his line. Wow. And George had no line. And George did very well that weekend. And George, but Brad, George's husband, was like, What's going on here? Why do they have a line? How come we don't have a line? And I'm like, Those are not your fans. Those are 17, 18, 19 year old kids who have no idea who George is. Right. And, and to them, and it's this webcomic. And so when these anime f- um, these anime fans or animation fans, it's it's that next generation, right? Like it's right. where we, you know, Ashley, you asked about aging out. Well, we've aged out, right? Like the stuff that we're fans of 
is not the stuff that these kids are fans of. Yep. And so it would be silly for me to be doing the same show that I, you know, we were doing 20 years ago or to be servicing, you know, guys in their fifties, you know, forties, fifties only and then women, uh, when there's this whole audience of, you know, teenagers and young, you know, young adults and people in their twenties and thirties in Richmond, I've got the Boy Meets World cast. I never watched an episode of Boy Meets World in my life, mm-hmm. but there's people that are nostalgic for that now. Yep. And My Hero Academia, I've never watched an episode, but I can tell you that Chris Sabat is going to have a line, you know, the likes of which you've never seen. Sure. Like sure. what you saw with Yuri. And, right. you know, we have Yuri booked in a couple places this year, too. And the, um, the very first show that I put on was in 2006, and it was back when we were called Supercon. And the history of us is that I, I started Supercon, Florida Supercon in, 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 in South Florida in 06, and I sold that show to Reed Pop in 2019. Um, they bought it, and then I rebranded the other shows as GalaxyCon. And they still run Supercon in Miami. And there's a documentary uh, called Surviving Supercon that kind of goes through our last year in Fall Autodome. And, and we'd done those shows for years in Miami Photo. The first show I did is called Supercon because it was going to be Superman centric. Mm-hmm. And I was, I'm a huge Superman fan. It's, it's my favorite, one of my favorite franchises is, is, is Donner and Superman movies. And, and, um, you know, I grew up believing a man could fly. And so that first show, uh, I called it Supercon because I'm like, oh, we'll do Superman the first one. Then we'll do, you know, Batman the second one. And we'll just keep doing superhero theme. And I start booking Superman guests. I booked Margot Kidder and Noel Neal and Jack O'Halloran, uh, Gerard Christopher, and a bunch of other people. And it was the same year that Superman Returns came out. And uh, Superman Returns hadn't come out yet, so nobody knew how I was going to do. And I'm booking Superman guests, and nobody cared. And I couldn't sell a ticket. Wow. And I'm pushing and pushing and trying to sell, trying to sell, and I'm dying. Like, I'm dying. And I'm like, what, what am I doing wrong? And then I booked Billy West. Mm-hmm. And then I put out a flyer with anime characters on it from Black Lagoon because I had a local anime group that was going to do some anime programming. And then all of a sudden I started selling tickets. Mm-hmm. And Billy West made twice, if not more, at that show than what Margot Kidder made. Wow. And for people who don't know, Billy West is the voice of... Um, Fry from Futurama, um, you know, Ren and Stimpy, uh, one of the M&Ms. He was Bugs Bunny in Space Jam. Like, he's got, you know, he's a big voice actor and not a face actor. And I've got him sitting next to Margot Kidder, Lois Lane, and she's not making real money. And here's Billy killing it. Yeah. And then I've got all these kids that showed up for anime, for this little sidebar anime programming that we had. And I'm like, Jesus, there's something here. And then and then my second show, my second Supercon. Uh, for See, if only you had uh, Ned Beatty, then you would have had Otis. They would have been coming <laughs> hand over foot. Our armists would have been there. They would have all been kind of Otisburg. Um, <laughs> Australia. Australia. Um, I, then I did, I did an anime show. I did an anime show called the Anime Supercon right after that, where I booked a whole bunch of anime people. And the guys from uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force and some other, you know, and that show drew. So my first show did 1,500 people. Then I did just anime and voice actors and drew 2,400 people. And I'm like, what's going on here? Then the second Florida Supercon we did, 
my headliner was Kevin Conroy. Wow. Batman. And I paid him a fee. And that was, he signed for free. Um, It was like, you know, he's like, it was early days. He hadn't really done shows yet. He didn't really, it wasn't, it's 2007. And it's like, I paid him a small, compared to what numbers are today, microscopic amount of money to come. And he signed up. This is what I get paid to do voice work. This is what it costs my day rate. Pay me my day rate and I'll sign for free. I'm like, okay. And he came and lines. So with that show was like 2,700 people, but the lines for him. And then first it was like, oh, you get f- up to five autographs. Then it was, you can get three. Then it was, you can get two. Then it was like, cause we just had to move that line. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I had Marsha Wallace at that Mrs. Krabappel from the Simpsons and, uh, Ricky Simons from, you know, Invader Sammy's Gurr and Dana Snyder from Aqua Teen Hunger Force Master Shake was there too. And I had all these comic guys and I had other celebrities. But voice actors, and, and really early on, I learned that voice actors brought in this whole other thing. So, Mark, when you were asking earlier about like booking these guys, it's like one for me, one for them. You know, mm-hmm. the voice actor thing is all for them, but it's such an, it's such a, it's, Basically, it's an infusion. It's an infusion. Yeah. Right. And so, um, so the anime shows that we do are, it's not anime because I'm not, I'm not, because I don't want to be tied to just anime. It's because right. I want to bring in the Cartoon Network guys and the Adult Swim guys and the video game guys. So, like, the guy who's the voice of Master Chief, Steve Downs, the lines for him are insane. Yeah. I've never played Halo in my life, but his lines are going to be bigger than anybody from, you know, from next gen other than Patrick. Right. And that's the way it is. Um, and, you know, you mentioned aging out. Yes, we're aging out or people are aging out. And what comes up behind us is the next generation. And I'm constantly in service of that next generation. I constantly have to be like, okay, what is it that they want? Like Daisy want. Jones and the six. That's what they want. <laughs> right. That's, but I, that, that's, and, and I surround myself in my office with people that are in their 20s and 30s to tell me what they want. Sure. Because I'm, I'm 48. I'm so not in the zeitgeist now. I don't know. Like, I don't watch this stuff, right? Like, I'm, you know, um, I'm, you know, the old man in the office. And so I let the kids kind of be like, no, you've got to go do this or, you know, and uh, it's what was and it's what was big when you were 10, 12 years old. So right. fandom, a lot of a lot of what fandom is, it's like music, right? Like mm-hmm. everybody, the music that they listen to in high school yep. and college, and then your musical taste, I bet, have stopped after college, right? Like you don't really, you're not experimenting as much. It's the same thing with fandom. What are people really big fans of? They're fans of the things that they were introduced to between eight years old and we'll say eight and thirteen. Yep. It's like that. Well, even the, the the more the more sophisticated stuff. You don't need to see the convention. Like you're not going to go see. Oh, I love Severance. I got to go see Adam Scott at and 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 at uh, at the convention to talk about Severance or get his. It's a, it's weird. It's like the, it's it, it, there is a nostalgia element to it. It's the things that you grew up on that continue to, to resonate. Star Wars, Star Trek, all, all that. So that's so interesting. That's such an interesting answer. And I, I got to say, you know, we'll have to have you back um, on the show to talk about some of this stuff because it's such a great insight that I think people don't uh, get to understand or experience and um, or even think about. Yeah. Or even think about. And, you know, we were, even we were, uh, I think uh, really 
uh, amazed when we went to your first, uh, the first show of yours that we attended. And you could see the, the love that went into it in, in uh, Columbus, Ohio. And I know that's one of your smaller shows. And we were just, you know, blown away by the whole thing. And that was so, the first show in a new market. We hadn't done Columbus yet. We had done a show in Louisville a couple of times before the pandemic. And right. we decided to move it for a number of reasons to Columbus. And, uh, you know, but it was, I mean, but you could see the fans came out. I mean, there was, you know, a yeah. lot of people in that building. And, um, and that's, you know, you'll see in Richmond kind of, you know, it's, 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 this is the show I run. Um right. You know, I, and I would say to anybody out in the world, you know, there are, there are shows everywhere. Like there's conventions everywhere in the, in the country. And just, you know, it's all, you know, it's not like the old days when we had to go into Starlog magazine and, you know, figure out which ones existed yeah. and then hope. Yeah, the convention calendar. Yep. Right. And hope that they were real because right. how many fake that yeah. never happened. That it was an ultimate fantasy. Oh my God. But even. <laughs> There were so many that were like hopes and dreams that never opened their doors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, nowadays, you know, there's shit. But if, you know, if if you've never gone to a convention, go and, 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 you know, go with an open mind and go, you know, under, you know, go to be with the tribe. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, we're looking forward to seeing you in Richmond, March 24th to the 26th. Uh, We'll bring the McAllen and uh, we will, um, you know, I'm sure I revisit this in the future, but Mike, thanks for putting on a great show and thanks for uh, sharing all these great insights with us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you, gentlemen. I'll see you in a month. See, Ashley, that was interesting. We told you, we told you. We're sitting in the green room with Mike in Columbus and we said, and he was telling us these stories and we're like, but these are really interesting. We should have you on the show. And he's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I have anything to contribute to. You guys have such big guests. You know, we have, you know, such legendary people. Why, why would they, they want to hear from me? And we're like, no, no, this is very interesting. And we want to have you on the show. And uh, see, Ashley, weren't we right? 100%. And I thought that he provided a lot of really interesting context mm. for the history of cons. Actually, uh. I will tell you, the, the thing that struck me the most about that conversation was the story about Gene at Tricon getting booed by the science fiction fans. Yeah. And here's what warmed the cockles of my heart about that story. What it told me is that in all of that time, in this big universe of ours, um, science fiction fans haven't changed all that right. much. We've always been cranky. They've only changed media. And it, it, there's a little bit of a parallel between Gene showing up at that convention and getting booed because nobody wanted to hear about this Star Trek crap because they'd already decided like, no, it's television, is blah, 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 whatever. Then he shows it to them and they love it and they're converted and they have that zeal. That well, is us with Terry Metalis and like seeing Picard. Like, boom, how can this? Oh. <laughs> that's great. That's, that's really funny. And it, 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 go ahead. Well, it, it's, it's also when we uh, did the Starship Smackdown at Worldcon. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> what he's alluding to is, you know, we do Starship Smackdown every year at San Diego Comic-Con. As many fans of the podcast know, it's a huge success. It's only grown in popularity over the years to the point where, you know, thousands of people show up in the big ballroom to see us. Um, but uh, one year we did it at WonderCon. Because WonderCon no, comes out, they want WorldCon. WorldCon, WorldCon. I mean, WorldCon. WorldCon had asked us to do it. But, you know, this is a much more literary, less media-inclined uh, convention. And so we did it there, and we didn't – immediately there was a, a little pushback from the audience, you know, who thought they were too, too, too uh, erudite for us. But uh, we quickly dispelled them of that notion, and it ended up being a smashing success. 
and we swore yeah. we'd never go back. And and uh, <laughs> Nick Nick Sagan became a fan. Oh yeah, because Nick Sagan. That's right. Nick Sagan became a fan. That's right. That's right. Uh, it's so interesting because um, yeah, that, I mean we've had such so many great experiences at conventions um, uh, over the years. You know, both as a group. You know, whether it's our trips to Vegas and. Um, uh, you know, obviously we had a great time in, in Columbus and in and outside of the convention. Um, and uh, looking forward to doing a lot more of these shows as the Inglorious Live Tour continues. We'll be in Richmond March 24th to 26th. We'll be in Raleigh, North Carolina, July 27th to 30th, which will follow our appearances at the um, San Diego Comic-Con the week before, which we wouldn't dream of missing. Of course, we'll be in Austin the beginning of September and back in Columbus, Ohio at the end of December. We'll also it hasn't been officially announced, but you know I'm going to spoil it now. We're also going to be at the um, uh, what is it called? The 57 year mission, uh, uh, Las Vegas, right. the uh, Vegas show. Uh, yeah. the, we're going to be at the Vegas show. Okay, we're going to be at the Vegas, Vegas show doing some panels. Uh, I, I, um, I, you know, they haven't announced it, so I'll, but you know what I'm telling you now because why not? <laughs> I don't care. So, um, <laughs> so hey, we got a bunch of good luck, Kirk. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. So, uh, th- th- you know, that's that's what we're doing. So, and of course, this is all subject to professional commitments because we're all very uh, busy and hopefully we'll be working and won't be able to go to any of them, but uh, now that's what we're planning. Um, <laughs> um, but this is a really interesting show and we're, we're really grateful uh, to Mike. I, I, what I love, what my big takeaway is, this is a guy who is a fan first and foremost, and you can see it in the shows, it just permeates the shows. His, his passion for it and his knowledge about it and that it's not just about, you know, cashing in on something popular, which we've seen a lot of these big companies have tried to do, tried and died. You know, they, they try and get involved. Oh, well, we hear, the, you know, what uh, that um, uh, this uh, Stargate's really popular. Hello, we hear that hello this- fellow science fiction <laughs> fanatics. Hello, science yeah, yeah. fiction. <laughs> Wait, that's a thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know... Um, I know where you're all big fans of Galactica 1980 here. We're thrilled we have the license so we can bring this to you. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so it's, 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 it's interesting. And, and of course, uh, I think we'll be pitching Mike, uh, you know, we got, well, when are you going to do the Buck Rogers reunion? Got to get that, them together. And, you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of cool stuff because if he's going to do some of the stuff you alluded to in our conversation, we, we have other, other things. It's time for the space 1999 conclave. Right. Let's get them all. Nick Tate <laughs> and Barbara Bain and and uh, Tony Videshi and and all these people and Jamie Anderson and let's let's just go for it. Get an eagle. Be great. Be awesome. Okay. Anyway, okay. Well, listen. We want to thank you all for uh, joining us here on the Trex Prince as always. And uh, if you want to um, have access to our subscriber only or advance because eventually we'll drop them uh, to everyone. But the Deck 78 uh, uh, episodes, you can subscribe um, uh, monthly. Um, just go to trexpressplus.com. Also, if you want to tell people about your love of uh, this show, please rate us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. And, of course, you can engage with us on social. Uh, people are still ranting and raving about the 101 the list. Uh, list, the list, the list, uh, the list, and uh, do that on Inglorious Trek on Twitter, Inglorious Trek Sports on Instagram. And it's funny because after we uh, got off the air with Mike, Mike immediately, I wish we had been recording, started to lambast us about the list. The fucking list. Nobody will leave us alone about the goddamn list. He starts out, well, I, I, I think Crude should have been on it, and here's why. He actually had a good point, but uh, but uh, Crude is not going to be, not on our ship, mister. 
That's uh, not going to be there's no Crooge. I'm sorry, no Chris. We love Christopher Lloyd, we really do, but we're not putting Crooge on our list of 101 characters. We said the people we missed were Demar and Moriarty. They should have been on the list. And uh, you know, other than that, we're not adding anyone to the list. Other than a couple of people from Picard, but that's not a conversation <laughs> for today. That's a conversation for another time if Darren lets us have it. So uh, on behalf of uh, Darren Dockerman, myself, Mark Altman, and Ashley Miller, we want to thank Mark Rivera, our fantastic uh, sound engineer, Peter Holmstrom, and uh, you, the fans, for uh, making it all possible. So until next week, or maybe in Richmond, Virginia, March 24th to 26th, keep on trekking, and gloriously, of course. Shh.